Welcome to episode 48 of the Champagne Comedy Podcast, where we talk about the best Australian comedy show from the 90s ever made, Frontline and other degeneration comedy tidbits. My name is Matt, and joining this podcast today is Alison, Daniel, Kim, and Tony. I hope everyone is fine and dandy. Yep. I wouldn't go as far as dandy, but yeah, fine. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. All right, we've got a huge show tonight, today, whenever you're listening to, and uh, we'll get straight into it. And the big news is that, what's his name? Santo. (laughs) So, what's his name? Jeez. So, Santo uh, and Mick decided, oh, let's do something on Mick's show, The Front Bar, and that is... Stage of Mystery! Bringing that back. (laughs) (laughs) And what had happened is that uh, Andy Marr decided to mentioned that it's been, quote, 30 years to this day, unquote, which, uh, you know. Come on, bring out that stamp. Uh, <laughs> which <laughs> you don't even need to be, you don't need to be a pedant. It's just wrong. No, it was, I was yelling at the TV. <laughs> oh, to, be, to, to be fair to the front bar, any old excuse to bring out the stage of mystery, you know, I don't care. It was, at the time, 31 years, and it was done in December 1992. Anyway, so just had to get that out of there. Uh, but but he, here's a snippet of it anyway. Any hope you might reprise. Oh, I, 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 I know. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I question without notice. I know, I, I know. Say, I know I, it was we're a, just not prepared. I know. It was well, hang on, wait a minute. I do, I, I do have my turban here. Oh! Do you want to see a great feat of juggling? Yes. Okay. I am going to juggle 12 different fruits, okay? What? Can you throw me the fruit salad, please? Okay. Levitation. A lot of people don't think that people can rise up into the air. And, and let me be honest, there's a bit more to levitate there. <laughs> don't try this at home. I haven't done this for 30 years, so let you me just try and do it. Concentrate. Okay. Concentrate. Okay. Concentrate. Okay. Here we go. Concentrate. Right. Rise, oh Mick. Rise, oh Mick. Rise into the air, oh Mick. Rise into the air, oh Mick. Good on him for bringing that out and dusting it off. Always good. Okay, so this week we had the return for its third season of The Cheap Seats. Very funny episode, although it seemed to be dominated by... There seemed to be a couple of loud laughers in the audience. (laughs) It's sort of like... It's a bit of a weird audio mix, but at least it's not canned laughter. Yeah, there was. I did notice watching it, there was one guy, and it's always... Always feels yeah. really dread when you start noticing someone because it's like, oh no, I'm just going to be hearing that for the rest of the night. <laughs> oh, I haven't watched it yet, so now I'm just going to be hearing that the yeah, whole time. Me too. Ruined. Oh well, uh, just to give you a, a bit of a flavour of the episode, Kim, uh, I've just uh, cut out a, a highlight from the episode, and it's all to do with the king's coronation. Underneath the seat, we have the stone. The Stone of Destiny. The Stone of Destiny. Stone of Destiny. Stone of Destiny. The Stone of Destiny. 
and in a Cheap Seats exclusive, <laughs> we do have the Stone of Destiny. There it is there. Look at that. We seem to have run it of six different Bunnings for this prop game. <laughs> we sent five different runners to go get it. And four of them didn't make it. So. <laughs> The Stone of Destiny, there it is. Oh, property of Scott Cam. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> no, this obviously, this isn't the real Stone of Destiny. This is the stone I use to stand on to make sure I'm the same height as you. Um, this is the, st the Stone of Denya. Um, it's, a, it's a very sacred, very sacred item. So we'll pop that back. So worth it. After the coronation, oh, Grant's blood. <laughs> you want to go there? You're right down there, Grant? <laughs> So there we are. Even 30 years after the Late Show, there's still nothing like a big prop. Yeah. <laughs> it, was more, it was more the cinder block of destiny. It's like they couldn't even get a bit of bluestone. It was, you know. <laughs> Although uh, that wasn't the only highlight. Uh, there was also that Alan Jones grab they kept on playing. Small penis, small penis. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a confession from I, Alan. <laughs> 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 although, although I think I think he, he had something else to say to the, uh, the the cheap seats editors about playing that grab all the time. Use could all go and get F two. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> so both both of those he's he's referring to Lydia the Lydia Thorpe uh, on video incident there. So yeah, I, I had to, to crawl through four and a half minutes of bile to get those two grabs clean off the internet. Ah. <laughs> no, we appreciate your efforts. Job well done. <laughs> Thank you for your service, Daniel. Ah, thanks. <laughs> All right. Uh, now, uh, it's also mid-May, which means that uh, it's Eurovision time. You'll find on the uh, Working Dog uh, Productions YouTube channel a uh, high-definition treat. It's a Eurovision entry from uh, a country that we've only heard about through a travel guide, the country of Mulvania. Have a listen to this. Electronic, supersonic, supersonic, electronic. Hey baby, ride with me away. We doesn't have much time. My blue jeans is tight, so onto my love rocket climb. Inside tank of fuel is not fuel, but love. Above us, there is nothing above but the stars above. Off blast. <laughs> and and if, you, if you think that's silly, then uh, just keep in mind that Australia has sent a synth metal band to Liverpool this year. Somebody who looks a lot like Santo Chilaro there. Um, but uh, The woman with him, is, is that Jane? I was trying to work out whether it was Jane because I think that's her singing, but I, the, at, at first I thought, oh, that's Jane in the video, and then I realised it wasn't Jane. Or is it? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think it is Jane in the video. It might be her um, uh, singing, though. You, you, you may be right about that. All right, one last thing from me. We've had the cheap seats, and uh, just like clockwork, we've got uh, the other show uh, coming back uh, very soon. Show is back. It's time to get the heart rate up a little. Really tough. So good. So good. I'm gonna use. Nice. Some freaky, freaky stuff. I'm in. I, I feel good. I'm not gonna lie, I'm feeling a little uncomfortable. I'm on the wrong show. I'm on head off. I feel good. Fabulous. Pretty rebellious. I knew that 
shoot diddy wop comma comma wang dang. So good. So crazy. So good. What's the third sign that you should leave your job? If you look to your left and you're there, says Kermit the Frog. Yeah. Um, new. Have you been paying attention? On 10 and 10 play. So that comes back on Monday, May the 15th at... 8.30ish, or, you know, wherever MasterChef finishes again. Yeah, it's good to have them back for another year. It's it's interesting also uh, the way Channel 10 markets it uh, as feel-good Mondays. All right, Daniel. Oh, Jesus! It's your program <laughs> guide time. <laughs> All right, better make it quick then. Um, okay, so something I noticed is that uh, coming up on Saturday at 8.30 on Channel 7, it's the debut of the adult talk show hosted by Doug Mulray, funnily enough titled Mulray. It got quite an interesting review in the Sydney Morning Herald Guide. Um, I'll read you just a bit of it. Every horror you've seen on the screen grows pale beside the horror of Mulray, Seven's latest lusty, rousing, robust adventure. Don't be ashamed to scream. It helps relieve the tension. Doug Mulray, the cholesterol kid, rides again, bringing weird, shocking savagery to the small screen, live and unexpurgated. Admittedly, an air of desperation pervades this tawdry attempt to whip up the jaded sensibilities of Schlockmeister Mulray's inexplicably burgeoning cabal. But all things considered, Mulray is a bit of a broad burlesque that's a positive rib tickler. Be warned. Don't look too close into Doug Mulray's eyes lest you yield to his hypnotic glare with predictably distressing results. Actually, Mulray is a sorry mess, a pale imitation of a contemporary television show, but it's the best I could do. Sorry, I haven't been well lately. And that's from guest reviewer Doug Mulray. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Wow. So an interesting bit of uh, promo there. Uh, There are a couple of things in the Age Green Guide uh, as well. First of all, we've got a letter uh, regarding Frontline from David Castle of East Doncaster. It is impossible to know where the line of demarcation exists between the parody of the factual and exaggerated farce in the ABC's Frontline. Only the victims of the innuendos in the real world of current affairs television would be aware of the quasi-libelous distinction. For the rest of us, in jokes notwithstanding, the program is a vicarious rapier thrust unerringly at the jugular of the arrogant, egocentric current affairs journalists for whom news is like a party balloon, something to be blown up and exploded for maximum effect. So there you go. I think I think he's... he's Someone uh, bought a both, dictionary. <laughs> yeah, both, both David Castle and Doug Mulray both, uh, yeah, reading from the same dictionary. Yeah, I don't think you can have a vicarious rapier. I, I'm not sure that's a thing. I'm just making sure I read that right, yeah. The program is a vicarious rapier thrust unerringly at the jugular of the arrogant, egocentric current affairs journalist. Like, you can have a rapier, but a vicarious rapier... Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. How, who are we to know whether rapiers are vicarious or not? I'm well, sure. I, I I'm think sure many are. You've been stabbed with one. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the best I, I can do is to you know cop the occasional um, pedantry stamp, <laughs> and that 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 hurts enough as it is. Let alone rapiers. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we really need a grab that someone just going rapier. <laughs> Done. There you, we, I, think that, I think that we've might just be misconstrued, it. Tony. We got it. Thank you. <laughs> Rapier. 
Now, also, we've had a lot of talk about G-codes uh, the last few episodes. Oh, no, not G-codes again. <laughs> There's just a little teensy bit more. There was like a little addendum in the corner of one of the pages of the Green Guide. God save okay. me. <laughs> it's, it's headed traps for G-code users. <laughs> Remember, every day's G-codes are different, even for programs which may run on more than one day. For example, Monday's ABC News has a different G-code to Tuesday's. If you miss recording a program on one night and want to record it on another, there is no point using the original G-code. You must change the code. Some readers have questioned the accuracy of Green Guide's codes after checking, for example, Monday's codes on a Tuesday. All G-codes change each program day. You must use the relevant code from the relevant day. If you fail in an attempt to record any program using the G-codes, please check that both the VCR and G-code device have been set up according to the instructions. Oh, so okay. there we go. Is, is that all clear for everybody? And people wonder yeah. why G codes didn't take off. <laughs> and there's, there's no way that they checked whether, you know, someone could have just randomly put any old number in and they can't go back in time to check whether that was true or not. I, I feel like the trap for G code users is being a G code user. I feel like <laughs> once, you've, once you've signed away your immortal soul for one of the scanners, that's kind of it. All right. So the uh, program gr- uh, guide proper. Looking at Healthy, Wealthy and Wise over on Channel 10, Jim Brown visits South Australia's Murray Riverland. Ian Hewitson makes the most of fresh ingredients from a small organic farm. Peter Werrett takes us to an an automotive training centre of the 90s. And uh, Ronnie Burns uh, reports on keeping gutters clean and safe. And Lynn Talbot joins a camel safari. Where's Tonya Todman? (laughs) She must have the buy this week. That's where they were. That's who they were looking for with the camel safari. <laughs> like it's 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 taken me possibly yeah it's taken me eight episodes to realise that healthy, wealthy, and wise is to these frontline episodes what the uh, what was happening on Hey Hey It's Saturday was to the Late Show episodes we did. Yeah, I'm now on Todman Watch. <laughs> that sounds disturbing, but trust me, it's is, not as bad as what you think. Is there a niche streaming platform for all these old episodes of Healthy, Wealthy and Wise in the same way that there is with Hey, Hey, It's Saturday? Because, you know, some of these segments sound really, really fascinating. They're in the Healthy, Wealthy and Woggy library. <laughs> okay. I'll look that up later. There, It's a set complete. Yes, there we go. <laughs> well, yeah, all right. Not, not, to, not to be outdone, uh, Channel 7's got Talk to the Animals at 7.30, where Steve Oemke meets a deaf dog and his dedicated owner, and Kelly Pomeroy visits the Northern Territory Wildlife Park. I went to university with Steve Oemke. <laughs> there you go. Do, do you reckon uh, he's, he's, he's got the, the wherewithal to uh, do a deaf dog story sensitively? He was one of the producers of, oh, and I can't remember the name of it, the, the movie that came out like 10, 12 years ago about a sheepdog that was protecting fairy penguins down at Warnerball. Oh, Oddball. Oddball, yeah. He was, yeah, his name is in the credits of that. He's, so he, he knows his dogs. And uh, on SBS uh, at 7.30, we've got uh, Les Murray and Johnny Warren presenting a comprehensive roundup of highlights from the 1994 World Cup from San Francisco. So yeah, that's at 7.30. And then uh, in a similar vein, at 8.30, we've got... Boy Next Door, A Portrait of Boy George, an insight into the turbulent life of the British pop survivor. So there you go. Something for everybody. He was a survivor in the 90s? What is he now? 
Well, thankfully, he's still a survivor. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that's what I mean. If he was just surviving in the 90s, it's like 30 years on and he's still going. He must be, you know. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's good. <laughs> I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just saying he's been surviving for a long, long time. Yeah. Time for another another episode of that. So, yeah, just a, a very slim Venn diagram there on SBS, really. Soccer and Boy George. All right, that's it. Thank you, Daniel. All right, who's up for the intro? And it won't be me again after last episode's extravaganza. But I'll do it if you need someone to. Oh, no, you... you, you oh, yeah, fair enough, fair enough. All right, you, talk, <laughs> you, you talked yourself into it. All right, here it's, we go. It's a highly anticipated geek. Oh, definitely. Bring it on. So make sure your vocals are all warmed up, your golden tonsils. <laughs> Gonna have to count me in or something. Oh yeah, I'll count you in. Feel free to sing it. Okay, here we go. So, hello, I'm Tony Morris, and this is Frontline Season One, Episode Eight: The Art of Gentle Persuasion. Broadcast Monday, June twenty seventh, nineteen ninety four. Great stuff. That community radio course has paid off. Finally, <laughs> thirty years later. Fantastic. All right. And the synopsis of this episode: Mike is planning a story, but others convince him to do a so-called expose on tabletop dancing. <laughs> when a crocodile victim's husband won't give a story, Marty goes to extreme lengths to get one. This episode, overall for me, I believe was it was very dark. I think the thing with Frontline is that it doesn't get laughs out of the serious stuff. Like, you know, we're not we're not getting laughs at the, you know, the woman who's been attacked by the crocodile or or particularly about the, you know, the tabletop dancing. You know, what what we're getting laughs at is, you know, um Mike and Jeff and um and other, you know, stuff that Marty says, you know. So, it's fine. Like thankfully it does start fairly light with uh, Brian wanting to do uh, a story about uh, the uh, the tabletop dancing. But this is uh, this starts laying the ground of the basically the title of the episode, the whole thing behind it. So it starts from the very beginning uh, of mm. persuasion and uh, Brian is saying it's all about how you approach it, um, though Emma points out should Mike be part of it. Let's open up the scriptures of Mike. I think viewers will be pleased by a new frontline this year. No more hidden cameras, foot in the door, and no more and no more of that titillation and nudity of other current affairs shows. Why did you say that? You wrote it for him. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> those those sorts of articles seemed to crop up every single summer before they they returned from summer break. About how it's all it's all it's all going to be new and it's all going to be above board. Then everybody seems to forget that you know, like about a month a month after they come back. Yes, it's surprising that that Brian even thought to to write that when uh, you know the next minute it's like no, we're just gonna we we can't be seen as, as sleazy. Oh yes, yes, so uh, we'll just do it in a in a, in a way that's a uh, oh very thought provoking and uh, you know we'll we'll make sure that, you, that the audience actually. Uh, sees it in the way you want to see it, Mike. Mike's, I, I think, a, Mike's I think, kind of like an Emma in this, isn't he? He's, he's, he's a bit more ethical in his approach. Yeah. I think in the current affairs game, you've got to just 
be completely blind to the contradictions because as we see in this episode, you know, they'll they'll rail about why can't we get this story? And then if something happens to them that's basically exactly the same, then they get very upset. So you've got to be completely blind to these contradictions. I think I think in Frontline, Brian is and Marty is um, and Brooke is, but Mike and Emma are a bit more, they're just not able to kind of, you know, ignore the contradictions. And, and that's why Emma particularly gets quite upset sometimes. You know, she's sort of the voice of, of the audience. She's kind of the voice of reason in this. Mm. But the others are just kind of, yeah, whatever. I don't care. Mm. And as, as Brian points out, she can leave any time and she still she chooses to stay there. Yeah. After Brian pushes Mike to get on board using the art of gentle persuasion, uh, <laughs> Kate barges in with a potential exclusive of a crocodile attack and the victim's family returning home and the father is not speaking so marty is on the case i guess this is the most serious part of uh frontline that i've really come across so far yeah i think uh, and it's uh, like marty really wants to kind of i guess i don't know if he's trying to impress brian or just trying to do his job and he, he's he's doing whatever he can to actually get in there and and get the footage even though uh, unfortunately it's a, a very uh sneaky way of doing so and yeah yet uh everybody just seems to just think it's normal but um yeah you you do have people like like emma stepping back and going like why why are you doing this brooke is taking an awkward mobile conversation in the bathroom bit bit misleading yeah it is because i guess my my mind went to is she pregnant Mm. you know and well we'll find out later if she is or not but you know probably not (laughs) A good bit of acting there from uh, from Jane, uh, yeah, considering that she's basically acting to somebody on the phone and saying, you know, like, are you sure, you know, my life is about to fall apart? Yeah, you, you really do sort of wonder at that point what it is. She, she brings a lot of emotional depth to that. Mike shows off his new disc person. <laughs> uh, that's, yeah, that's me. Um, yeah, he's discman to Dom and uh, he's listening to... Otmar Lieber, but he's actually a German guitarist, even though Mike thinks he's... Oh, he no, says no, that. Dem- no, Dom. Dominica. Dom, sorry, my apologies. Reckons Otmar Lieber is the guy from Roxette. Yeah. <laughs> to, which, to which Mike says he may well be. Yeah. <laughs> Mike's thinking of Per Gessel. Yes, So, yeah, Otmar Lieber is German, Per Gessel is Swedish, and, uh, yeah, one half of Roxette... Technically, Roxette was disbanded after the other half, uh, Marie Fredrickson, uh, she died in 2019. But Pear now performs under the name PG Roxette. Oh, I didn't know that. Sounds yeah. like it's a really tame yeah. rock set. Or parental guidance. <laughs> yeah. on the... yeah. Has he got a, a singing <laughs> well, they're, they're already G, so I'm, I'm, I'm still annoyed that I wasn't allowed to go see them live in 1991. Oh, no. <laughs> Oh, don't worry. I'm still annoyed that I wasn't allowed to go see Julian Clary in 1993. Oh, why was yeah. that? Is it because it was going to be a bit more of a sticky moment? Cause he, <sighs> yeah, because they, my uncle went and and I, I sort of said, well, why can't I go? My uncle's been, and my mum said, oh, he's a bit adult. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was too young. I was too young to see jokes about fisting and <laughs> stuff like that. Apparently, oh well. Australian culture was going through a lot in the nineties. Yeah, it seems like that was the prime or peak 
And then after that, it started going from downhill when it hit about 2000. Or after, I guess, it hit its peak in full frontal and when totally full frontal came out, it started going down. I think you're going to have... You need your own podcast if you're going to argue that, you know, full frontal was the peak of Australian <laughs> culture. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Can't uh, you just, okay. What you should do, just, it's John Howard's fault. Okay. Think about it. Com- <laughs> comedy, comedy under labor was much better, right? Then you get John Howard and it goes steadily downhill again. Oh, but, you know, Martin Malloy. Yeah. Okay. Well, there's always the exception that proves the rule. Although, technically, of course, Martin Malloy started in, in the Keating era. Well, yeah. yes, but it, it wasn't until Tony got to bust out his John Howard impression on a regular basis that, you know, it mm. reached it's the pinnacle of Australian humour. Well, that was the beauty of John Howard for Tony Martin because he had a radio show at the beginning of Howard's career and of being and Prime right Minister the and then mm. also at the end with Get This. All right, Tony Martin is the exception that proves the rule. <laughs> but, but all other all other comedy in the Howard era was shithouse. Yeah. Well, the thing is though that now that you've pointed that out, that's going to be you know have to be the lead when John Howard does finally kick the bucket. That it's like <laughs> you know the, on this podcast at least it will. Yes, yeah. you know a career <laughs> bookended by Tony Martin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at the funeral, it will be Tony uh, doing the eulogy, going. In the Howard voice, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, that's oh, the thing. Just, just Labor says, behind, ah. <laughs> hiding behind the coffin going, hey, get me out of it. I'm better at Mick Malloy's Hawkey going, ah. You must turn into Blakey then. I only can do it. Okay, you butler. This podcast was due out 10 minutes ago. You were talking about Frontline, I believe, at some point. What? I've got one other impression. I can do Homer Simpson. I'll save that for the next episode. I'll use that as the opener. How about that? What you need to do is like, if the numbers are low on, you know, people here, just go, and today's special guest, Oba Simpson. And then just start doing <laughs> impressions. Welcome to Frontline. <laughs> <laughs> this is your podcast? Yeah, fuck this. All right. Sorry. Uh, so we didn't say fuck. I know. <laughs> <laughs> be great if he could he could now that it's all on disney disney plus could he could the problem is from what i can gather you you get one in american movies as long as it's not directed towards anyone or about anything but yeah it's like if you stub your toe in a movie you can say f if somebody you know annoys you you can't say f you well you can but your movie goes up to i don't know are in America probably. Mm. Well then, All right. back to Brian's <laughs> office. This is relevant because I remember there being a censored F-bomb mm. in Frontline. This episode. Oh, there is, there is actually. It is yes. relevant. It there is episode relevant. You know? Yep, yep. And, and it's and I noticed at PG. That's because. Yeah. yeah. But then but then didn't she say it to him? Anyway. No, it's that's, it's that's, different that's in Australia. Process. In Australia, you can you can swear your head off. Yeah. No one cares. Yeah. In Brian's office, he gently persuades Mike about the tabletop dancing story, with Mike taking the angle of an expose. The story needs to be done. It'd be a tough expose, mate. Oh, sure. You ever been in one of these places? No. 
No. Well, mate's Bucks Party, but I didn't watch it. I reckon you'd show what it's really like. Yeah. Actually go in and film the girls dancing. Yeah, and interview one of them. I didn't watch. That so much sounds like I didn't inhale. <laughs> oh, yeah. B- bullshit. Bullshit. <laughs> bullshit you didn't watch. Yeah, I'll say. <laughs> the thing I liked about that scene was that Brian's waving around a leaflet for this establishment called The Men's Club, which sounds kind of like a generic parody of um, a tabletop <laughs> dancing club. And I like to think that they spent ages like doing that leaflet, putting it together, you know, except because of the rubbish, grainy quality of the footage, you can't actually see what's on it, sadly. Ah, well, so he, oh, well. was, he, was he shaking around the pamphlet of The Men's Club gently? <laughs> Gently, yeah. It's not even worth of a bumtish. Well, just to, not to go, not to, you know, convict myself. But back in back in the <laughs> days of Melbourne strip clubs, I think there was one called like the Gentlemen's Club. They had really generic names. Yeah. They, they weren't sort of. We weren't in the Spearmint Rhino era in the early 90s. It was just sort of the men's gallery, I think, was one. Oh, yeah. Well, this that actually says the men's gallery ah, on go. the That's leaflet. So, ah. so it's not the men's club, it's a men's gallery. Yeah, I can see that on my Along King Street in, in Melbourne. I've got to say, I've, I've never been to the Crazy Horse Review in Hindley Street, but um, I've been to that burlesque place that's above it uh, on Hindley okay. Street called 1910. And yeah, basically burlesque. It's just it's it's classy as stripping, really. You didn't look though, Daniel. You were you were just there on a bucks night, and you didn't look just like Mike Moore. It, it, it was a party. <laughs> it wasn't a bucks night, and and I I will cop to it. I did look. Oh, you did. But that's oh, all Daniel. I did. Spell oh, burlesque, Daniel. Daniel. Well, I, I think sadly the the only strip club I've ever been to was one in Geelong that was extremely seedy, and that was for a bucks night, and that was just like. You know, you, you wanted to go home and get the scraper to get the grime off you. It was, it, it was that, that was a, that kind of strip club oh, yeah, was, <laughs> to strip the grime. It was not a, a yeah, not a classy venue. So yeah, we get uh, Marty, Stu, and Jace, yeah, essentially going to John Ramar's house to try and get an, an interview. And yeah, there is a a darkly funny kind of prelude to it uh, where they they door knock the wrong house. Yes. Uh, yeah. we so, do, we so, do, so, so it was an eight and not a six on the on the handwritten note. Mike hits the streets uh, to get Vox Pops on the tabletop club. Yeah, there's a bit of a cut scene actually. If you if you consult the script book, um, yeah, it's, it's a bit it's a bit of a it's a bit of a nothing scene to be honest. So I can understand why it was cut. I but, yep, absolutely. But it's kind of interesting because basically he goes and gets some Vox Pop, and it turns out people in the local community couldn't give a damn. No. The one thing about that scene, and I'm not 100% sure, but they may very well have filmed it out the front of an actual strip club. I can't see why they would because it doesn't look noticeable, but I went past, uh, I was walking past King Street a couple of weeks ago, past one of the few remaining clubs there, and that looked a lot like the front of it. It's a very generic office building style front. So it might have been (laughs) shot on location. In there. Where? There. There. In the building. In the building. The big thing in front of your face. What about it? There are half-naked women dancing on tables in there. Wonderful. No, 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 no. Sorry, sorry. Let me explain, okay? The neighbourhood is being turned into a porn centre. It'll be known as the suburbs of sleaze. Now, aren't you angry about that? No, I don't live here. 
Well, <laughs> in the script, he does say suburb of sex in the script. It, when he says that, you just suddenly there's a silhouette of uh, someone who resembles Mick Malloy standing behind him. <laughs> <laughs> Cameo appearance. Yeah. Oh, you guys recording? Yeah. <laughs> hey, good to see you. <laughs> But yeah, I'm not sure if the place that I'm vaguely remembering was the men's gallery back then. But it, yeah, if they shot interiors at the men's gallery, they may have filmed that out the front. Are you able, on behalf of the podcast, go to the location and find out and we can do a screen? I, I probably can. I don't want to say I probably can, but I probably can at some point. Because um, yeah, that's I can walk that way. So mm. Don't, don't expect team. it in the next couple of days, but if you want to call back, you know, halfway through season three, this could be a solved mystery. You're going there for research purposes. It's like the only one left there. All the other ones have closed and like Goldfinger's burnt down and a few <laughs> others are all gone. It's King Street is sort of gentrifying in Melbourne. It's going up market from being, you know, the Saturday night bashing strip to sort of something a bit more... <laughs> Uh, suitable for selling to overseas investors. Uh, so have all these clubs moved out to the suburbs or do they just not exist anymore? It, it's not as big a thing as it was. It used to be like you'd see ads all over the place for, you know, Spearmint Rhino and these other joints. And they seem to have kind of fallen out of favour a bit. I'm sure they're there, but the days of giant, you know, these multi-storey massive strip clubs seem to not be, you know, those days are done. And kings, they were. It's, it's, like, it's like everything you know that the uh, everything that the internet has taken over. Yeah. It's like first it was physical media, and now it's you know physical looking at a new chick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, maybe it was the current affairs shows covering all of these themselves. People didn't need to to, to go there; they just watched Frontline. If if, if, if Frontline had had have done the the story today, it'd be the super highway of sleaze. Yeah. <laughs> the information superhighway. Yeah, well, lots oh. of people, yeah, started putting old. <laughs> That's a very nineties term. Yeah, very nineties. The information superhighway of sleaze, and you have to pay the toll. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> As they say in Truck Turner, you pay to get on, and you pay to get off. There we go. <laughs> God, this thing writes itself. <laughs> we just created a whole new frontline episode. <laughs> Mm, disturbing report there from Tony Morris. <laughs> Not for the last time. <laughs> so uh, back to Marty and the husband of the crocodile victim refuses to be interviewed and Marty persuades him to use his phone, persuading, uh, there we go, and to call up the office to stop harassing the family uh, while discreetly recording him. So this was very conniving and very clever. I studied journalism a few years before this episode and this was something that was taught. Mm. Really? Not, not, mm. di not direct, like they didn't say this, but this kind of thing was mentioned as the kind of thing you might have to do if you were covering mm. this sort of story. There are were, there were a number of ways. It wasn't quite as wasn't quite as blatant as in this episode, but yes, the idea of talking your way into a house and getting a photo that the newspaper could use was, yeah, that was a thing that journalists did. And the, the way Marty does it, like, there's a, there's a stage direction in the script book uh, where it says, on a human level, and, you know, he goes, you know, like, we didn't want to come, we're sorry for the intrusion, you've got our sympathies, and, you know, can we, can we use your phone? 
and you're like, it's just, it's such, it's such a, a, a contradiction. His, yeah, on a human level attitude compared with the absolute shithouse. Uh, I've lost my words, fuck it. No, <laughs> but, well, I know what you mean. But did, did you, but you know, just, go on. No, he's very, very empathetic in yeah, that moment, yeah. isn't he? And, and very and then, convincing and, as yeah. well. Look, if, you, if you're going to be a journalist on a current affairs show, you've got to be able to do both things. You've got to be able to be sympathetic and, you know, convincingly project that you're truly sorry for this. And on the other hand, your job is to get a photo and get them to say something. And if you don't do your job, you get fired. You're kind of, you, if you can't do both things, you're not going to get a job that requires you to do both things. Yeah, there, there is an, an interesting point brought up before this scene uh, which is uh, Stu asking, can we just knock on the grass? And uh, yeah. Marty's saying no, because, you know, when somebody else uh, gets the, the Ramari interview, um, you know, it's going to be my ass on the line. Yeah, that's exactly it. You were told, mm. I mean, this was decades ago at journalism school, but, yeah, we were told if you don't do it, someone else will. And if you're worried about it, then you do a good job. I mean, if you're concerned that someone's going to come in there and be sleazy and steal stuff, don't be that sleazy. You know, you've still got to get it done. But there are, within this, you know, fairly horrible job, there are people who can do it in a way that's not invasive. And then there's, I don't know, Martin D'Astasio. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. I was taught the same kind of thing in journalism, journalism school a few years later. I think uh, you mentioned, Tony, you went to uh, journalism school that was a little bit... Uh, more, uh, let's go in there and just get what we want and uh, uh, less ethical, I suppose. <laughs> it was, it was results-orientated. It yeah. was like there was journalism schools that were about ethics and, you know, and ours was like, look, you'll get a job at a local paper. You'll probably have to cover stuff like car crashes. There'll be a time where it's like we need a photo of the person who died. This was before the internet, so you couldn't just look, you know, go onto social media the only way to get a photo was to go into their house and get one off the wall. And, yeah, if you had to do that, you know, I guess there would be times where you couldn't do that, that would be okay. But if you couldn't do it on a regular basis, then your job would be in trouble because you weren't delivering the goods. Yep, that's probably why I moved into technology journalism rather than uh, <laughs> going out there and <laughs> getting daily news stories. It was just a bit too, too much pressure for me. I went into film journalism where they give you the photos for free. So <laughs> you, you pay a much higher cost seeing some of these movies. Yeah, so Marty actually does get a, a photo there, doesn't he? Yeah, from, uh, yeah. discreetly. Well, yeah, I mean, that's one way that journalism, I guess, has improved to some extent. You don't have to break and enter in someone's house to get stuff. You can just go online. There's always a photo you can find and you can use that way rather than having to Know, intrude on their grief. Yeah. Well, yeah, I guess it's still in, intrusive. Uh, and there was a case here where tragedy where a girl passed away under a tram and, you know, there's lots of photographs that they took from the various social media accounts and some of them were, were quite old and whatever. And, you know, it's just, it's the same kind of thing when you, you suddenly see see these pictures plastered on, on all the media that you didn't know were were public in a way because people post things online and you don't realise that they're they're out there. Yeah. It's, it's always kind of weird when, you know, you've got a story like that and they could find like one photo and basically the person is very obviously drunk or doing something deliberately <laughs> silly in the photo and you think, this is how you're going to be remembered, like like that in that one stupid moment. Yeah, planking. 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and then you start to think, if if I drop dead in some way that becomes newsworthy, what's the photo they're going to pull of me? Yeah. <laughs> it's just a, a picture of Alison at uh, Madame Tussauds just doing the point, the Jonathan Coleman point and go, hey. They just, they just get a screen grab of Alan Rickman from the end of Die Hard and superimpose your face on it. <laughs> it's how I would love to be remembered, yeah. Would I be holding a sign saying this is not a Christmas film at the same time? I like to, I like to think so. Remember Frontline? Maybe our listeners do. Yeah. So meanwhile, Brian aims for another angle of the croc story and discovers Brooke still hasn't turned up for work. There's a cut so line here was... actually about that, which um, which had it been in the episode would have suggested um, it was more in the pregnancy line. And um, I think it's Marty saying, anything serious? Probably just a footballer. And, yeah, we we also uh, managed to get uh, Mike uh, getting the sand grabs he wanted about the streets of Slees. Yeah, by standing in front of a church to do it. Yeah. Getting some of the parishioners to to give their views on it and they were obviously horrified. Well, he'd do well to find a church that crowded these days, I guess. Well, indeed. It must have been a Sunday as well. Anyway, that's <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking. It was like, wow, point of what? pedantry. What, what? Why are there people at church on weekday? Pedantry. Thank you. I'm pretty sure there are churches that do churchy things on weekdays, mind you. But they do, but to just, be fair, just, the, the just, lady, it's just there's not as much attendance. Yeah, the old lady going and looked like a fairly hardcore Sunday morning parishioner, rather than you know. <laughs> An occasional weekday smoker. She's probably oh, there she- cleaning the drive-through. <laughs> <laughs> the handy church. Yeah. Well, no, exactly. She'll she'll be there for like the midweek, you know, silver polishing and and floral arrangement sort of workshop that they have or whatever, you know, cleaning. And the then working place. the second window. Yeah. 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 <laughs> working the second window. Yeah. There'll be two Hail Marys. Please drive through. Body of Christ. That'd be nice. Yes. <laughs> So um, Marty shows Brian the result of his stealth recording of the victim's husband. Yeah, that was quality stuff. Mike is at the tabletop club with a dancer strutting her stuff in the background. Let's get this interview underway. Here comes some rocket science. How was that? That was fine. That was fine. I was a little bit nervous, I'll have to admit. Oh, really? And why is that? Well, I'm afraid I'm a bit of a Mike Moore fan. Great. Where would you like me to sit? Uh, uh, here. Uh, yeah, just here. Thanks, Katrina. What a lovely girl. <laughs> yes. He, and from that moment on, he is absolutely entranced by her, isn't he? Yeah. Mm. Well, the thing that got me... <laughs> it's got the guys going gaga. It's <laughs> a really funny bit that he says. <laughs> the thing that got me with this, though, is it's an episode where there's sort of a bit of a probe into the reporters' private lives and stuff, but by the end of it, it's like Mike is dating a stripper. Surely <laughs> someone with a bit of mouse is going to be putting that on the front page of the truth. No, <laughs> not a stripper, a businesswoman. Yeah, in in the in the sort of realm of El, El McPherson. She well, thinks Cindy of herself Crawford. as El McPherson. Yeah. Cindy, Cindy Crawford. Crawford. Yeah. 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 Good on her. Kate tracks down the croc expert and who appears live on the show with Mike. No, we've had reports that only an arm was found. Is this typical of crocs? No, not really. They normally eat everything. They take a person and they drown them. 
So what you're saying is that Mr. Omar would have watched his wife taken while she was still alive? Still alive, yeah, most definitely. And that while he and her children were standing shocked above, she was drowning in the mouth of a crock below? Still alive, yeah, that's how it would have happened. Still alive. Well, our hearts certainly go out to the Omar family. <sighs> so dark. <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah, yeah, too bad they didn't have Steve Irwin, the crocodile expert, <laughs> on there. That would have been. <laughs> he wasn't famous at that <laughs> different. Point. Oh no, he no, was. He was starting yeah. to get famous. Because I, 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 I recall like the there were a couple of um, crocodile hunter specials that were on like early Saturday nights uh, when we were doing the late show episodes. Oh, really? Okay. Well, there you go. So, like, starting, starting out. Not as big as he would eventually get, but getting there. So Brian gets a call from John, the croc victim's husband, who is very, very pissed off, and Emma's morales kick in. Why do we have to splash his grief all over the bloody screens? We were only showing what people want to see. Oh, how convenient. I mean, people want snuff movies. We don't give them that. <sighs> We're all voyeurs at Hardium. Yeah, yeah, when, when it comes to something hey, like hey, Roseanne a, and Tom, sure. It's a but fine line. It is not a fine line. Big line. That's just a bullshit we spin. It's not a fine line, Brian. The minute you don't want to be a part of this, just let me know. In the meantime, do the job. Your job. There's your PG rating. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Well, I wondered if, you know, they had to, they waited to get a certain number of episodes in before they could have Emma really sort of crack it. Because it sort of feels like, yeah, watching them every week. Emma's upset about something and it's like well this one you know we've had it built up enough that when she drops the f-bomb we know that it's a serious matter it's not just you know her flying off the handle yet Mm. again yeah Mm. yeah this this really was sort of the heyday of that kind of reporting on those shows I mean I don't watch them at all now as far as I know a current affair is mostly just cranky neighbors tipping paint thinner over each other's cars but (laughs) You know, there was a period there where they really were sort of going pretty full on with, you know, unpleasant stories if there were angles that they could use to put them on TV. Like, as you said before, Kim, with the the girl and the tram, that's the kind of thing you could expect, you know, 20 years ago, a current affair might have done a story about, you know, the deadly menace on our streets would just be an excuse to show a lot of, you know, people being very upset. The next day, Brooke finally turns up, who is a bit upset, um... You know, because, she hey, big good, scandal. No, it's horrible. Scandalous. But turns out it was all over an ex-boyfriend selling a story about their relationship to a gossip mag. <gasps> yeah. How Brooke broke my heart. Shock horror. This is where we get that, um, that uh, contradiction, really. Because um, uh, certainly in the face of, um, of uh, the Ramars. Because, mm. like, the first thing that... Uh, Brian tells Brooke is to say nothing. It always blows over if you shut up. Mm. Like, and that's just what uh, John Ramar wanted to do and he wasn't given that right. Yeah, I think the difference is that Brooke has obviously got, you know, the the might of Jan and her team to oh, sort yes. of control the media, whereas, whereas John Ramar doesn't. Yeah. Um, so we, you know, we see that, I guess Brooke has a certain level of privilege in this. And and then we get Jan coming in and suggesting, um, you know, that they, they counter this story with some articles about the caring Brooke and about how she's going to go 
visit Africa and, you know, sort of. Although she's not going back. With children. She's thinking about going back. She's not actually. No, they're suggesting that she'll go back, but she actually isn't because she doesn't want to. Yeah, I think that says a lot. (laughs) Yeah, it really does. Oh, look, the whole, yeah, it. It's very self-serving on the media's part, but you you do notice over the years that there's very much sort of one rule for regular folk and one rule for people who are, you know, inside the clubhouse. Mm. There's been a few times over the years where there's been stories and it's like if that was a regular person that happened to, that would be, you know, they'd go nuts. Mm. But because it's like some vaguely media-related person or just a regular journo, it's just, yeah, not of interest to the public as far as they're concerned and they just kind of keep it under the rug. So Marty and Stu are getting their distant shots at the funeral because, you know, if they dare get a bit closer, it's going to cause some serious issues. And Mike has a coffee with his mate Jeff, you know, the weather guy, uh, and showing off his disc person. And uh, Except, <laughs> well, I don't know, as, as someone who owned a disc man back in the day, um, the thing about disc men was that they would break very, very easily and you just tap it slightly and then the whole thing just wouldn't work ever again. And so it was kind of amusing to me anyway um, to see that Mike's disc man is already broken. Yeah. He's only had it a couple of days. Probably one of those Far Eastern flimsies. <laughs> <laughs> Late show reference. <laughs> yeah. And he's talking about the tabletop story. How did your story go yesterday with the strippers? Well, they're not strippers, Jeff. Yeah, you said that they were strippers. Well, yeah, they're, yes, they're strippers, but they're, they're more businesswomen, really. Oh, I mean, like right. McPherson or Cindy Crawford. They're not businesswomen, they're models. Yeah, but they're beautiful. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. sorry, yeah. yes, they're, they're beautiful, <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I like Jeff bringing, bringing Mike crashing back to reality with, yeah, but they're just women who are doing a job. They're not business women. Jeff tells Mike that John didn't know he was being filmed as well about the crocodile victim story, and uh, Mike is quite shocked by that. So Frontline promotes the upcoming stories, including Brooks' love affair with Africa that throws Mike a bit off guard with that. So yeah, That was a nice touch-up, I thought, a good, a good bit of acting from, from Rob to kind of get across Mike's sort of surprise without, you know, Wrecking, you know, wrecking the the sign off. I, th- I think I, I, I like the much more unsubtle, you know, fifteen seconds of tabletop dancing to let's talk about sex, followed by cutting back to Mark saying, "Tough job." <laughs> <laughs> the next day, John, uh, the crocodile victim's husband, is on three AW and rips into Frontline. It's it's a self seeking departure from common decency a barbaric exploitation of a situation that any feeling human being knew requested sensitivity and understanding. They came into my home, secretly filmed. My grief, I, I'm just... I'm, 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 I'm sorry. Uh, okay, okay, okay. I'm sorry. Uh, look, I think we'll leave it there. <sighs> it's hard to imagine Neil Mitchell saying, we'll leave it there, not... Wait, camera on. Let's keep this going. <laughs> yeah, this is a radio award entry. Well, that's the thing, though, as well. It's like I think back in the 90s, Neil Mitchell was kind of sort of, a, well, I suppose he's still mainstream in Melbourne now, but back then he was very much sort of seen as, you know, the mainstream voice of the people, whereas now he's kind of a bit more, well, you know, he's on talk radio, so you're getting a bit more of a, you know, 
And this week, seven more things Dan Andrews has done to ruin your life kind of reporting. <laughs> it, it does also kind of help that the only opposition to him now is the ABC, really. Yeah, yeah, there's not much else going on. So, you know, he's sort of, he's expanded to fill the void. When they cross back to the office, when they everyone's listening into on the radio, there was... Yeah. Oh, yeah, 21 minutes and 50 seconds. Yeah. So he's going hard at it, trying to fix the copier. Emma is still pissed off about Frontline exploiting John's grief. I mean, like, we feel for him. We don't feel for him. We're just saying that so we don't look like bastards. Well, someone's going to catch on one day. We are bastards. We make people victims. We're the crocs. Fine speech, Em. But you're still here. Maybe I'm not. Mm. Oh, snap. So then again, who wouldn't watch a a current affairs show called The Bastards? (laughs) (laughs) Tonight on The Bastards. Is it the hosts or the stories we uncover? (laughs) (laughs) We let you decide. (laughs) Pretty much. And every every single reporter is basically Martin D'Astasio. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's just a whole lot of, you know, neighbours from hell stories like, tonight on Bastards, they cut down his tree, he burnt down their fence. Yeah. And then they do a vox pop, he's a real bastard. Yeah. So, I mean, I think we've got a winner here. Yeah. Yeah. A bastard affair. <laughs> uh, we then get to see... Uh, essentially a couple of reactions to Brooks magazine story coming out. You get Domenico who sort of has taken the bait essentially and, you know, finds out that, you know, he's the bastard. You were, you were on your way to Port Douglas and the car broke down. It ruined your holiday. <laughs> I like that that's her takeaway from the story. <laughs> so the strategy that, that Jan devised definitely worked then, didn't it? Because uh, Ethiopia, potentially on the cards, all the – all the readers very sympathetic towards uh, the caring Brooke. And then you get the interaction between Brooke and Marty. Brooke tells Marty, uh, you know, that stuff might work fine with Mike, but don't try your smart-ass shit on me. <laughs> <laughs> and Mike is complaining about the double standards with the story until Katrina walks in to have lunch. Yeah, lunch anytime. Yeah. He's really smitten with her, isn't he? Oh, very, he's in yeah. big smit. Well, to be fair, if, you know, when you say come up for lunch anytime, usually the what happens next is you never see them again. So yeah. for her to show up for lunch is like, well, Mike's, uh, yeah, he snagged a winner. Security! Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you do wonder whether she's got her eye on a television role. So that, there's a frontline spin-off they should have gone with. Stripper by day, reporter by night. Yeah. <laughs> or, Coming up on the bastards. (laughs) (laughs) They've they've got to have one tokenistic woman reporter on the bastards. Well, yeah, because it would just be entrapment every night. You know, she'd be stripping away and then, what do you you think your constituents would think of this, Mr. Politician? Oh, no, it's the bastards. (laughs) A stripper slash businesswoman hosting a current affairs show, I think this should be called Front Bottom. (laughs) (laughs) bringing it back yeah thank you very much yeah you just boomed oh yeah i'll chop well deserved that (laughs) thank you (laughs) and my brain hurts of thinking of that joke 
Brian tries to solve Emma's morals and by inviting John, a victim, uh, husband, uh, to come on the show live for a right of reply and Marty's concerned about the backlash. But Brian persuades him that it's going to be all okay. Yeah, because even if we lose, we win. He can, yeah, they're just really yeah. milking the ratings at this yeah. point, aren't they? So yeah. even if it is controversial, it's still yeah. Even if he goes us on our show, we've still got the ratings. Yep. Which re- re- reminded me a bit, uh, we had this on the Siege episode that we covered. Uh, we had uh, that clip of the psychologist uh, on uh, A Current Affair going Mike Lewis. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, of, of, of course, Emma finds out about this ruse from Marty. And Jan's fluff piece manoeuvre for Brooke does work, uh, claiming the art of gentle persuasion. I do. I wondered watching it what would be the equivalent today because, I mean, back then it's like you just put the story. The story's in Woman's Day, so you go to New Idea or whatever, whereas now there's sort of not that kind of level of local media where you can – sort of find a venue that you can really get your counter story out no, there? Well, Daily what, Mail? I think what, what usually happens is that the subject of the, the Daily Mail or <laughs> Women's Mag article refutes it on Instagram, usually. Yeah, too. Yeah. Goes, you know, this is absolute nonsense. So Emma tells Brian that real life has offered John more money. Then we cut to the live episode and John does rip into Mike. And even though Mike is like going, oh, hold on. I didn't deserve this. Later on to Brian. Um, and yeah, and, and Mike, Mike calls John a public figure. And, mm. yeah, right, rightly, John replies, no, I'm not. You know? Mm. Yeah, so that, that's always the excuse, though. It's like the second that you're, anything happens to you, you're a public figure and then you're fair game. No. Yeah. Well, he, he calls him a hypocrite, though, John. He, he says, yeah. you know, he calls Mike a hypocrite, which is a nice moment. Well, see, even just participating in this podcast has made us all public figures. So hopefully <laughs> that, you know, none of us are going on like some kind of murder spree or fence-burning rampage in the next couple of years because otherwise there will just be Daniel G, public figure, tried to deny. You know. <laughs> oh, Long-running long dispute all with neighbours. they could get from this podcast <laughs> that they'll play on the 6pm news. Fucking yeah. hell. Oh. <laughs> You're going down, Daniel. <laughs> they'll, 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 they'll probably go with, with me seeing where you got dames from last episode. Oh. Hmm. Well, they'll take all your Warner key quotes out of context and attribute them to yourself. <laughs> Emma ends up chasing John as he's heading out the frontline office uh, towards the exit and hands him a check, only to reveal that Emma had taken a page out of Brian's and Jan's book, uh, mm. persuading Brian for the money in the first place, paying off her guilt. That was a weird point, I thought, because I kind of thought it would be quite plausible for him to just say, I don't want your money. Like, he's been sort of quite, you know, throughout the whole episode, he's been very sort of firm that this is a, a moral issue for him, that they shouldn't have done it. And for her to hand over money, on the one hand, it's like, yeah, it makes sense in the context of Frontline. But it also kind of shows why she's still on Frontline, that, you know, she thinks that money is the solution. I mean, the episode ends there, so there's no sort of further point going on. But it just kind of felt like for him, it it would have been plausible if he said, I don't want your money. She frames it, though, as something for the kids. Yeah, I mean, there's that. He he takes it on that basis. 
Yeah, but you know, I, I kind of I like the idea that she's staying around to mess with the system. She's kind of using the system against itself <laughs> because basically, you know, he didn't ask for money, and probably no. real life didn't didn't offer him no. money either. But she's going to make damn sure he gets something good out of it, you know, for the kids, which is twenty five yeah. grand. Cons- oh, like, yeah, it's- considering the hell he's gone through at the hands of Frontline, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I just felt like a very frontline solution that the way to to solve a moral quandary is more money. It's also kind of the only solution mm. though, because like I don't, she can't give him his privacy back. No, she can't bring back the wife, but she can give him some cash. So yeah, that's what he well, gets. That, that's the sort of the thing. It's like once frontline wrecks your life, it stays wrecked. There's no sort of yeah. way out. You can put a band aid on it, but it's sort of when these shows, when you become the main character on these shows, you're kind of going to come out of it. Yeah, what they do is not something that's easily solved. Yeah. But hmm. ultimately, Emma had had the choice to, to walk away from her role, and that's her way of maybe justifying the fact that she's still still kind of there, hmm. is giving yeah. giving some money away. I mean, obviously, she she does feel bad about it. Um, but yeah. I, I think it was yeah. just nice to have a happy ending. Sure, mm. it may be a somewhat implausible ending, but it's just nice to have the happy ending. Well, especially in an episode about strippers, you'd like a happy ending. <laughs> oh my no, Mike, Mike does go on a date with her, so you know she's waiting there for him. Um, as John Ramar leaves, you see her waiting to go on a date with him, so he's well satisfied, I would assume. Yeah, she's off <laughs> to fiddle with his discman. <laughs> I think I, I also like the no manner of speaking. Yeah. I, I also like the the way that the scene is written out in the script book because it's 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 just superb writing in, in my opinion. Emma chases Mr. Ramar as he leaves. Emma, Mr. Ramar, I'd like to wish you all the best. Ramar is at first not sure how to take this, but then he assesses it as the first genuine emotion he's had from the media. Ramar, thank you. Emma, and this is for you. She hands over the check. He looks mystified, obviously knowing nothing about the money. Ramar, what's this? Emma, it's something for the kids. Ramar, 25000 But how? Emma, let's just call it the art of gentle persuasion. Ramar makes eye contact with Emma. He gives the half smile of one who isn't sure how it came about, but who knows that it came about through someone who was, in the end, genuine. Mm. Brilliant. Gen- like not, not, not late show brilliant, brilliant, but genuinely brilliant writing there. So that gives a bit of background as to Emma's uh, real state of mind, I suppose, and, yes. and uh, mm. explains a bit about it. There's also a you know, very very subtle kind of tap on, tap on the arm that John gives to Emma just to say yeah. thank you. Yeah. And then if you turn the page over, it says, the moment lingers as their gaze is locked. Slowly <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I think you're talking swirls. about Mike and the dancer there. <laughs> oh, wait, yeah, sorry. My mistake. <laughs> cool. So that concludes Frontline Season 1, Episode 8, and the Champagne Comedy Podcast, Episode 48. Hooray, we've made it to 48. Yay. Wow. And we're still... we're. Getting there. Yeah, what are, we, what are we going to do for the 50th episode? I mean, we can dress up all fancy, but that's not going to come across on the podcast, is it? No. We didn't do anything for the 40th or the 30th. No, well, for the 40th, <laughs> we had a big two very special guests and three, oh, actually, who called in. So, hmm. 
Um, yeah. Oh, we did too. Yeah. Mm. Um, for the 50th, um, I am not sure, but I can say that I do have a couple of guest uh, reviewers coming up. So, okay. um, good. good. Yeah. Yeah. So yep. I've got that in the works. So make sure you stay subscribed to the podcast as always. So, uh, as always, to reach out to us, uh, you can email champagnelateshow at gmail.com, Twitter at TLS Champagne, the website champagnecomedy.com. Facebook, The Late Show page, and also the Champagne Comedy Podcast group on Facebook. It's on private, but answer the three questions and you're in. If there's any other links inside the show notes, such as a Redbubble store or a Patreon, feel free to throw something around. I don't know if you are still getting a kick out of the podcast. We do this out of love and uh, all the attention that we um don't give our significant others when we're recording. <laughs> uh, we're doing it for the like yeah. Extend my daughter's Roblox twi- time twice during this podcast. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, as always, uh, thank you again to Alison, Daniel, Kim, and Tony uh, for coming on, as well as uh, you, the listener. Thank you for downloading and listening. So, yeah. uh, we'll catch you in the next episode. See you next time. See you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Champagne Comedy Podcast, created by fans for the fans. For more information on this podcast, please visit champagnecomedy.com. Produced by Matt Fulton Productions. MattFulton.com.au. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs>